This is BBC Radio. The time is a quarter past five, and Saturday listening continues with an adventure in the new classic Doctor Who podcast serial, new to... Our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our... Sweet dorks, we are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new, or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who, we're the chaps with suggestions for you. I'm Dan. I'm Stephen. And I'm Cole. Welcome. Gentlemen, we uh, debark from the early 80s and enter the late 80s with Remembrance of the Daleks today. We're season 25. It's the opening episode, opening yeah. story of season so, 25. Sylvester McCoy's second season, first story. This is coinciding with the uh, this, with Doctor Who's 25th Silver Jubilee, if you like. Yes. 25 so years. It's definitely my favourite Sylvester McCoy. I think it might be my favourite Ever. That's a big call. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I do think that we introduced to something that we already kind of know is going to be very different Doctor Who. Mm. It's a much more measured approach. It's thoughtful. The season 24 is a little bit clownier, a little bit more mm. comic relief, and this one is a bit more serious, and it gets into the mm. what, what makes McCoy so good in my eyes. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so, right, and I think that's largely down to the people behind the cameras who have really started to take hold of yeah. their... Their vision starting to really take hold of the show. Yeah. So we, as producer... John Nathan Turner. The in, yes. The, the uh, infamous JNT. Yeah. And Andrew Carmel, who's the, the script, script editor. editor. He's a young man. He's in his 20s at this point, and I yeah. think it's his first gig in television. Did didn't... he take over from Eric Sayward? Yes, he did. So he was directly... Oh. Okay. Oh, so, and, man. What and a... so he didn't really... Um, he didn't start as a writer like they often do and then work his way up to script editor. No, in fact, he never wrote for the show. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, of course, writer... Ben Aronovich. Yeah. Who, Famous uh, for the uh, quite recent series, the, the Rivers of London, which is a, a, a bit of a... Uh, a bestseller, I think. I haven't tried. I haven't dipped, in, dipped into that. No, yeah, no, but obviously this is his first television gig with uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, and what a classic. Yeah. Ben Aronovich is also massively famous as a Doctor Who fan, uh, mm. and so he's one of the first fans to write for the shows. Um, we've got that, obviously, in the new series. A lot of the fans, like yeah. Paul Cornell writes, mm. uh, uh, who was also a fan but also mm. wrote the, mm. uh, the new adventures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and later Ben Aronovich would actually write a few uh, yeah. new adventures himself. He did. So steeped in Doctor Who lore. Yeah, mm. for... for you, for those of you that are new who, in those wilderness years between 89 and 2005, all we really had for Doctor Who is a series of uh, kind of like, I guess you'd call them young adult novels. Yeah, I think mm. so. New adventures. I was um, told by my school librarian that I was not allowed to take out transit because it was too adult. It had sex, <laughs> sex and drugs in it. And that's Ben Aronovich. Mm. And, and also it's kind of the new adventures because they were a little bit a little bit riskier, a little bit nastier. And also they because they sort of mostly feature McCoy, they're kind of kept going with what they were going to do with the show and they made him quite dark and a little bit manipulative and all-knowing and yeah and the start of that is here yeah so is this the beginnings of the um Cartmel master plan i don't know i don't know if it starts in 25 i, I don't, know. Yeah. don't know if anyone's got that official down when it actually starts mm. the the director andrew morgan who mm. i think did a, such a great job I've, yeah. I've seen this uh, this serial so many so many times but watching it for the podcast i just like really got a, an appreciation for how snappy mm. and how fast it is. We often talk about pacey stories, but my God, pace, yeah. so pacey. Yeah, I think Andrew Morgan's got a lot of credit and for that as well. I feel like mm. there's very little filler in this one. Maybe I'm to- maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm rose tinting in this thing, but no, I think you're right. There isn't filler as such where there's people walking from lab to corridors yeah. or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think it's really quite um, tight in terms of the script and the direction Would too. Gentlemen, may we please talk about our TARDIS team? Oh ah, yeah, Who have right. we got. So you got the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, who's mm. uh, my doctor. Yeah, uh, and Sophie Eldred, who mm. plays <laughs> Ace. Can like I a- can I say like this is her second story? Mm. And already the chemistry on set between Sylvester McCoy and yeah. Sophie Aldred is magical. Yeah, you yeah. can tell they're having a great time. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I don't know, when was the last time do you guys think we've seen a chemistry like this? I mean, I'm thinking of Tom and Elizabeth. Yes. I'm thinking Pertwee and Katie Manning. I don't know. It seems like it's been a long time coming. I think that's a fair call, Cole. You've got a fantastic TARDIS team, probably the best going back into the 70s, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. This character of Ace, she's very of her time. She's quite 80s. Mm. She's from West of London. 
woman, which is very evident in her accent. She's <laughs> yeah. very... She's got moxie. Yeah. One of the things they do with um, uh, McCoy and Ace is that he's a teacher and she's kind of, he's sort of taking around the galaxy, showing her things and teaching her stuff. Yeah, I think that comes mm. across. Absolutely. Even down to the playful uh, term professor, you know. It's, oh yeah, uh, she calls him professor. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. That is quite sweet. And then yeah. later in the, I think it's season 26, they sort of get deeper into their relationship and um, he takes her to places from her own past and helps her deal with her, mm. all of her demons and stuff, which is quite cool. Yeah, that's really cool stuff mm. in season 26. What's really clear though, and even until today, is the, is the real friendship and camaraderie between Sylvester and, and, and Sophie. Yeah. They share the same birthday, mm. the 20th of August. Oh, really? It's still evident today. I mean, if you mm. listen to things like the DVD commentary for something like Remembrance, or if you just see interviews with Sophie and Sylvester. And the big Finnish audios too. Absolutely. It's still there. I never listened to the... I, I can't believe I never listened to the commentary for this before. Um, no. I, I listened to it last night. Oh, man, it was such a pleasure. <laughs> they're so, they're yeah. so funny. Yeah. Steve, if you were to uh, sum up Remembrance of the Daleks in a one-sentence high concept, <laughs> what, would, what would that sentence be? Okay. The Daleks search a strangely familiar London in 1963 for a hidden superweapon from Gallifrey's past. But what is the Doctor's own secret plan? Mm. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys, I, I don't want to stop you right there, but it does look like Clive's wheeling in the Moog. Um, usually that means at some point he's going to be playing the spoiler music. So Clive's telling me to keep talking. Okay, that's fine. It's like... Okay. No, there it oh, is. Okay, uh, Clive, our Foley man, has... Uh... That's our spoiler cue. We are now free to talk. Spoilers, guys, as we always say, if you haven't watched Remembrance of the Daleks just yet, stop us. Why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah, but... no, listen to us. Just put us on pause for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ideal situation, isn't it? Like, Ideally, they listen yeah. to a few yeah. minutes and then go, well, I'm going to pop it on pause <laughs> yeah. for two hours. <laughs> Great. Right. So you... And we're back. Hey, yeah. welcome back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because we were back in 1963. It's set mm-hmm. in 1963. Uh, at the same time and place as our episode zero episode that we did before, An Unearthly mm-hmm. Child. Yeah. So it's sort of like going back to the, the beginning. I love this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've in the past showed Friends the first episode An Unearthly Child and then yeah. skipped directly to <laughs> Remembrance, Remembrance of the Daleks. Of the Daleks. Really? And the 25-year span in between is sort of really lovely coalesced um, by joining those two together. It is set basically on, I think, the 22nd of November of 1963. Oh, so is it, I didn't even know well, that was Which the is the day of Kennedy. Kennedy's assassination. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, and I think, I mean, one of my favorite things about this um, serial is the production. Like, they obviously mm. spent a lot of money on it. Um, mm. The sets are great. The, all the period stuff is fine, but all the all those beautiful colors, there's lots of, mm. like, greens and powder blues it's, everywhere. It's a step up in production. It's yeah. a £12,000 over the budget <laughs> step up. But, but doesn't it show? Yes, yeah. it's And worth you know it. what? If it's you ask it. the BBC to produce something in loving detail from decades ago, they will get mm. it down absolutely it. perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. Ask them to do a space corridor they will light it up like a Christmas tree <laughs> and cover it in tinfoil. Yeah. But I think this the 1960s setting really plays to the strengths of the BBC costume props mm. and set department, and, and this is just a beautiful, authentic... Like even down to the way in which the, the cafe that we have, uh, which is sort yeah. of like a secondary setting for a lot I of these characters... Cafe. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the, uh, the the decor and the and the and you know even the menu, mm. um, and and I love the fact that you have a very authentic 1960s soundtrack as well. Oh, in the jukebox, the, yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there was money spent there for um, copyright, obviously, because we've got Elvis in there. Mm. We've got the Shadows. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not production music. I think um, some of those songs aren't actually like the Elvis one isn't actually Elvis. Uh, J and T got Kef McCullough, the music guy, to compose and record. It covers of these songs so that they wouldn't have to use the, the licensing. Yeah, yeah, I read they'd it in still, the envision. They still have to pay for. The I know. Copyright. I don't know. Well, maybe not in the eighties. Who knows? It is Return to Sender, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. there's Return, Return to Sender. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, well, there's a version somewhere where um, the music's different, which is <laughs> super super weird. I watched a. A DVD or something, and the music was different. Mm. Yeah, right. It's not stuff that's you know like three guitars from an unearthly child. No, and it you know, all it's... adds to a really authentic 1963 feel. Absolutely. Uh, just this, this, this is a great sets like the cafe. There's the Mike's mum's bed and breakfast. Mm. There's the weird. There's this bits of the school that are set, and then there's yeah. a lot of the school I didn't realize wasn't a set like the um the lab. So this actually doubles for Coal Hill High School, mm. which if you remember back to our episode zero is the setting that we find Ian Barbara and Sue. 
Susan in. Yes. There's even that reference to the French Revolution, Revolution book yeah. that Susan yeah. picks yeah. up yeah. and puts down yeah. on the yeah. laboratory an bench tub. That's yeah. from an unearthly yeah. child. And it we was, see Ace picking it up. It was a lovely idea to have the French Revolution. Is it meant to be sitting on the same bench and all the rest of it? I don't know. Yeah. They got the prop wrong. They did. <laughs> well, that's why <laughs> I never really noticed counts. it. Yeah. yeah. That's why yeah. I never really... I always wondered why there, as a kid I was like, why are they zooming on that book title so much? And <laughs> it took me years to realise that it was the... It's supposed to be the same one. Yeah, because it doesn't look anything like the one in the anyway. No, but again, it's meant to harken back 25 uh, mm. years, 25th anniversary. It's meant to harken back mm. to that that faithful day. I think if they were going to go to the trouble, they'd probably get the problem <laughs> right. But never mind. Uh, we're in Sylvester McCoy. We're in the late 80s eras. Mm. Uh, can we talk about the CGI title sequence? This is the first oh, yeah. CGI yeah. Well, title sequence in Doctor right. Who history. Yeah. Okay. The theme tunes arranged by Kef McCulloch. Mm. And I... Not everyone likes it, but it's one of my favourites just because it's in a different key, which I really like. That's right. It's and, in A minor. Yeah, mm. which is nice. And, and they also keep... My, one of my favourite things, they keep the um, the middle eight, which is my favourite part of the tune, and it's in the intro, which hasn't been in it since... Since Perley. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's great. I, I was watching Doctor Who as it, as it aired... At this point, um, and I remember the first time I saw these titles, mm. and I was absolutely blown away. Yeah. As a kid, yes. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah, the best thing I'd ever seen. And the TARDIS spinning around in the blue orb and all that <laughs> stuff. Like, I lost my mind over that. I thought it was incredible. Might look a little hokey these days. It does. It does. But we're talking about the 1987, you know. People, yeah. if they're lucky, might have an Amiga 500 back at home. <laughs> I'm not sure you could I wasn't sort of... lucky. My cousin, my cousin had one. I'm not sure you could pull those type of graphics out of a, a Commodore 64. Mm. Um, but I think the asteroids and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's great, but it's also so like Doctor Who moves with with the times, and this is very much reflective of Mm. that era. Mm. CGI just in its infancy. There's a real sort of optimism about Mm. the show, and that's reflected in its embracement, I suppose, of the of what's of what's uh, on the horizon. Again, like although misguided, I guess at times J and T always had that the front of his mind too about moving forward, about you know re envisioning things. I mean, we've talked about that with Earthshock last last month as well. That's true. Yeah, he wanted to move forward. He was obsessed obsessed with America, and he wanted to get Mm. the show more popular over there he just wanted it to be cooler i think and more in Mm. line with the mainstream which is for better or worse you know but yeah and the theme i mean they already went pretty sort of artificial with the one before with um sorry with Mm. davison and bakers was already pretty electronic this one (laughs) finally they're really embracing basically almost techno like it's pretty (laughs) but i really i really like it's really sort of um, pounding and driving and at the end it is Obviously, we've talked about a little bit the Cartmel master plan. Should we get into Do this? Do you want to throw plan? straight into the master plan? I think okay, so. so it basically is a reinvention of the character of the Doctor, not yeah. in a not in a wholesale way, but in a way that is meant to or designed to reintroduce the mystery to the character. Yeah, because he'd been demystified by mm-hmm. I, I think partly from sort of Davison and all the times they went to Gallifrey mm. and you saw the Time Lords a and you got to find stuff. out who, yeah. who the Doctor is. They sort of demystified him and I think I suppose they wanted to remystify him. Involved in the master plan we've got Andrew Cartmell, we've got Ben Aronovich and we've also got Mark Platt I think was also sort of... Yeah, so talking. he's a writer who comes into play a little bit later on mm. uh, and is quite important but um, all, of, all of these, the three of them really sort yeah. of sat down and developed uh, what's known as the Cartmell master plan. Uh, whether that's a sort of ramshackle bunch of notes strung together or mm. a unified theory Yes. No one really knows. It's a fan's term. Yeah, right? I don't know think they so, called it that. No, they didn't. No. <laughs> because the show finished uh, abruptly at the end of season 26, they never really got to... Mm. It's one of the big things they never really got what to finish. And essentially, got. somehow the Doctor is mysteriously tied to the very origins of Time Lord Society mm. and the events yeah. that that took place. They didn't really, get, they didn't really get that deep in the show, but it's just uh, mm. it's just kind of a way to make him have a bit more mystery. And he's always... I guess we're just seeing the beginnings of it. Yeah, yeah, and in this one, I mean, he is. He's, he doesn't really talk about what the Hand of Omega is until... Episode Episode three, which I think is a good idea, and then he's he's sort of he's kind of like an all-knowing, a little bit more manipulative. Mm. I don't think though that means that he becomes a, a complete uh, and utter manipulator, someone who's dark no. and irretrievably sort of uh, not, beyond the, the realm of a good guy. Not in the not in the show. I think at times mm. in the New Adventures because they really follow it up in the New Adventures and they make him quite dark and they make him yeah, quite manipulative. Which, but they they always bring him back. But they do. But I think I prefer this characterization yeah. instead. It, I mean, yeah. we do get the darker Doctor, but at the same time i think he's playful and funny i think uh, mccoy uh when interviewed at the time was asked how would he like to play the part and and it would have been around about this point in time where he said he remembered an old aunt of his and uh she'd lost all her friends and family over time oh. she was quite alone and he sort of thought what must a 900 year old time lord be like to have lived to those age and uh, mm. that age and, and and lost everyone that I you've loved that. so i think that sort of comes across as a great path uh, pathos in in in, in mccoy's performance i think there 
it is someone who's dark, yes, but also mm. funny and kind and someone who's probably a little bit lonely. Yeah. I think we've touched on the fact that he has that duality to his character. One of the things that's also really um, important to understand is that Sylvester McCoy actually is, his background is as a comic actor yes. <laughs> and a physical physical comic actor as well. So he's, he's most famous for being part of uh, Ken Campbell's surrealistic troupe. And his most famous act was the stuffing of ferrets oh. down his trousers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And he used to be persistent. He would stick like six inch nails up his nose as well. Apparently. Yeah. So, so, so I think all of this comes together in a very sort of playful doctor, a very dark mm-hmm. doctor, a very intelligent and very kind doctor. He's yeah. always affectionate to Ace, and he has that sort of teachery kind of vibe to him. And I think that's something that McCoy in the commentary sort of seemed to go on about how it was partly his idea to be more of a teacher because he could say, Ace, what's that over there? You tell me. And she, would, and she and that's what they do. There's that bit with the burn marks on the playground where he... Um, yeah, that's right. What do you make of that? It's a playground. The burn marks. See them? Well... Landing pattern of some kind of spacecraft, isn't it? Very good. He encourages her to tell him what's going on. I think you're right. The fact that she calls him professor instead of doctor is really quite indicative. He's a very Socratic figure. He's someone who's always asking her questions, asking her to figure it out. And and the beauty of Ace is that she actually is incredibly intelligent and smart. But those two together sort of have that very sort of teacher-student relationship. That's really quite sweet. He even does it to um, to Rachel at one point at the start when she's trying to figure out what about the the death ray. And he says, he he gives a little finger wiggle. And he says, yes, you're beyond the realm of current technology. Yeah. It's great. She, yeah, it's good. I mean, the funny thing is with her character, she's actually the scientific advisor for uh, for Gilmore's group, Gil- which is interesting because, you know, as we all know, the doctor's actually the scientific advisor for you. <laughs> That's was, a nice parallel. Isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a certain um, camaraderie between the two of them immediately. Um, but I think, you know, that sort of constant sort of physical aspect is, is there in, in McCoy's mm. performance. He's always scurrying around. He's always jumping. He's always using his hands. Yeah, he's playing. He plays with plays with props and things in the in the. My, one of my favorite bits is in I think it's in three or four where they're coming out of the shuttle, mm. and uh, he's got to explain why why he's letting Daleks fight each other and he gets his umbrella stuck in the shuttle door and that was all apparently that was all him he just wanted to do he was like this is a boring speech I just want to and he's sort of pulling it and pulling it and then he yeah, rams it out at the end it's great I love it he's always he is he's always he's always doing something interesting I think also that Sophie played off that well don't you like as a as a companion to uh, to this doctor spoiler alert uh, dear sweet dorks Colin once um, secretly pledged to marry Sophie oh. Aldred as a, we're going to talk young... about this oh let's oh. just uh, just to skip over it a okay. little, just a if, little. It, if we must <laughs> it's it's identifiable as someone who's a teenager not just a teenager but a troubled one sure. mm. someone who's angry at the world yeah mm. someone who uh doesn't mind swearing although it is bbc swearing mm. she calls someone a toe rag yeah <laughs> i love that i have to say this whole story when i was a kid just scared the pants off of me man like it's very dark and the, i guess the dialects are scary to a child but like uh, i think they're quite scary one of the good things about this serial is that the Daleks aren't, they're not really in it that much until episode three or something like that. It's mostly their yeah. human agents. And um, I think it's good. I think it's good not to have too much Dalek too quick because I, th- I think so. And what, what you've just mentioned is actually a really important point. There's different types of scary. Yeah. There's green little blobs in, in polycarbite armor, which is scary. And there's some terrifying shots of that. But I think the really unsettling aspect of this story for me was what you've just said, that sort of dark nature of humanity. We have, you know, the, representation of, of that fascist organisation, yeah. the, the association with Ratcliffe and how Mike's uh, seemingly an ordinary type of guy but is very much aligned politically with them mm. uh, and the betrayal that that um, leads to and, and the way that Ace is very much hurt by that. Uh, it's very unsettling and I think there is that sort of examination of our own humanity um, that's that's put, brought to the fore. And a horrible way they subjugate a child, a child Ooh. in a chair and slave it to a computer and yeah. then take her over. That's, I love that Davros bait and switch. It's so clever how they make yeah, you think. Yeah, I was it's, thinking that as well. It's great. Yeah. But Do- the Davros reveal was supposed to be a, a secret, wasn't it? Like you know, in production, like much like the Cybermen with Earth Shock and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it was odd that they would, wanted to go with the bait and switch sort of so early on because he doesn't get revealed until episode four. Did we know that he was even going to be in it? No. And in fact, when I first watched it, fully expecting for mm. the girl to be Davros yeah. and for her to be revealed totally. as the school girl, mm. I thought two things. One, that's unbelievably brilliant and mm. subverting the whole, as you say the bait and switch because I'm yeah. expecting it to be mm. Davros. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, I think my reaction was, oh, Davros isn't in this Were you, were you also looking at looking at the figure in the chair and thinking, oh, no, I don't know about that. Doesn't because, look you know, quite doesn't right. Look quite right. And why would he be wearing an ice stalk helmet? Yeah. You know, like all those little, little things. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Just that great voice. Is that mm. uh, John? Was it John Leeson? 
Oh, I don't it know. It does sound like John Leeson, who's probably more famous for... Mm, canine. Canine. Yeah, he's mm. the voice of Canine. So he's back and perhaps just a nice mm. nice little meta sort of throwback to the show's past as well in having him do the voice for the, um, the battle computer. Mm. You are a slave, Ratcliffe. Can I, can I ask you guys, how do you feel about uh, Group Captain Gilmore <laughs> and uh, Chunky Gilmore and, uh, and, his, and his team, his military team or his group? Intrusion Countermeasures Group? Yeah. So we've got our Brigadier type figure with Group Captain <laughs> and he Gilmore. he is. He's yeah. actually called a Brigadier yeah, mistakenly yeah. by the Doctor. Yeah, the and he behaves one. very Brigadier. Yeah, with the moustache yeah. as well, that doesn't yeah. hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've got our Chief Scientific Advisor, Rachel. Now, she sort of comes across a bit like a Liz Shaw type character to me as well. Yes. Not just that scientific advisor role, but also that... Um, that Highly had... intelligent. Yes. That was your death ray. I know that, but how? To transmit focused energy at that level? It's incredible. It's... Yes. It's beyond the realm of current technology. It's uh, Pamela Salem from... She's been in Doctor Who before, the wonderful Pamela Salem. She oh, was in yes. Robots of Death. Okay, who was yeah. she in Robots of Death? Um, she was twos. twos. Do you oh, remember, wow. remember oh. we watched Robots of Death a couple yeah. of years ago? I was yeah. I kept going yeah. on and on and on about her, and you were like, I don't know, who, who, who cares? No, I was I like, don't. it's Rachel from Robots of Alex. She's such, she's so great though. I don't remember that, but yeah, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I love also that she's kind of a Barbara standing, so she's got yeah, the, well, she's sure. got Barbara hair. Barbara <laughs> damage. I was going to sure. say the backcomb buffon is very much in the style of Barbara. I love the fact that in the very first opening seconds of the of the uh, episode one, she's sort of strolling along with all the school kids and. I, I thought, oh, hang on, is that meant to be Barbara? Yeah. It's just a nice oh, never little parallel that between been. the two. But obviously she gets into the back of the van and yeah. she's the uh, she's part of the ICMG. I did I yeah. did read somewhere that um, Rachel, and, uh, Pamela uh, Salem and Karen, who played Alison, uh, had to endure hours of rigorous backcombing to get their hair <laughs> just right for them. How like, much hairspray? It's 1963, man. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's pretty good. Maybe um, that's where some of that budget went to. And then we've got um, Mike Smith, played by mm. the amazingly named Dursley McClendon. He was a big star. Ah, right. So in the West End, he was really yeah, absolutely. A famed actor and singer, mm. uh, and it was quite a coup, a J and T casting coup, to have a, a, such a big name from the stage on, on television for mm. Doctor mm. Who. They, they, a lot of them, are, they actually got quite. A, a cut a good cast for this one. They got a lot of people who are a lot of act, older actors who've been in a ton of other stuff, like Simon Williams, who played Gilmore, was in Upstairs yeah. Downstairs. True. George Sewell, who played Ratcliffe, and um, the vicar Peter Halliday, who and Michael Sheard. Is Michael Sheard the headmaster? Yeah, he yeah. he was especially terrifying to me as a child because <laughs> he played Mr. Bronson, the headmaster of Grange Hill. Grange Hill. Yeah, that's right, he <laughs> did. I if, love that they cast him for that reason. Yeah, yeah. He, so I was so scared of him. You uh, have to be more specific. Yeah. <laughs> And he's yeah. great with that, that sort of little, the, the sort of transmitter he's got controlling him on his ear. Mm. And when you know when he when he says you have to be more specific, and then he puts his finger to his That's ear. Right. The musical cues for those things. Yeah, That's yeah. So creepy. Yeah, it's really some, good. Yeah. I love that music. Yeah. The music, the whole, the music for most of this I actually quite like. I'm going to put my hand up and say. Uh, I just love the fact that they can go overboard in this way because mm. it's so evocative of the era. I don't mm. care if Mc- Kev McCulloch is uh, is maligned for this uh, soundtrack and nah. for the others. I, I just it. think it screams 1988, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really it's so of its time. It really it's does. great. I really, and it is kind of jarring when you put it next to all this beautiful 60s um, period visuals. That's true. But I, I've always loved. Mm. Yeah, I really like it. So, so we've got the relationship between Ace and Mike, yeah. and it's kind of meant to be there as a love interest for Ace. Yeah. Oh. But, of course, things go horribly wrong. Yeah. Because he's a traitor. Mm. Uh, I think um, Dursley McLinden plays it really well. He's great. Yeah, uh, he's I think he's, he's, you're meant to like him and then hate him. Mm. I hated <laughs> him from the onset. the onset. From the moment that cafe where he's sitting there ogling in the corner. <laughs> he is a smug, oh. smarmy military type. I mean, I was like, get away from him, Ace. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him in. From the moment that he drops her right in it, when he gets exposed, and he's just like, Ace told me. Yes. She shuts him down. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. I didn't know it was the Daleks. I was just doing Mr. Ratcliffe a favour. Do me a favour and drown yourself. It's so cold. It's great. She does have a lot of good dialogue in this. She has that speech about blobbiness and... Uh, oh, yeah, end, which, yeah, is really, yeah, the, which is really wonderful. I love that blobbiness thing. And then she, she says all, all her dumb 80s catchphrases like wicked. And <laughs> Did you guys notice that in episode one, when the doctor was actually in trouble, when he blows up the Nitro 9 and she <laughs> she miscalculated the 10 second fuse, <laughs> she doesn't call him professor, she calls him doctor. Oh, yeah. Ah. When she's scared that, he's something, that is, something's that happened to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then so we got, you got Mike, who, are like, yeah, so I think he's pretty good. And then his weird relationship with um, the sinister Radcliffe. Okay, so I love the fact that yeah. Mike is the inside man. 
for <laughs> essentially a fascist organisation. The so, Association. They, the Association, yeah. They've yeah. even given it a mysterious, enigmatic name yeah. that can't possibly be any they, good. I love that bit where they, the, they put down the phone and then you see that it's Mike who's taking the call. Yeah, and they that, that music cue. Like, That's it's right. Yeah, I love that. It's a nice bit of foreshadowing for sure. But yeah, Ratcliffe and, and Mosley is that proto-fascist organisation that sort of links back. Like, he's obviously an older guy in 63. He's obviously like a Mosley follower back in the day. Or? Yeah, so this, mm. Oswald Mosley was a British fascist back in the 1930s, uh, famous, I suppose, for the black shirt movement, which really advocated uh, essentially the, 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 you know, central tenets of of fascism and, and, and racism yeah to the point where he was actually on Hitler's side and was locked up during the uh, the second world war mm. um, and obviously what we have with Ratcliffe is a real sympathizer from mm. those days from the 1930s he actually mentions this country fought for the wrong cause in the last war when I spoke out they had me imprisoned you will be on the right side in this war it's only like maybe two lines in the whole story, yeah. and it's Ratcliffe. They only he, they just touch on it lightly. It's only delicate, and they don't bash mm. you over the head and say Ratcliffe is a fascist. Like you mm. know, it's um, they, they, they deal with it well. I think. Yeah, I think so too. But um, I, I, there's that really sort of affecting death that he has. I think it is in part four. Is that yeah, right? on the oh. stairs? On the stairs, yeah. and his eyes are wide open, and yeah. his body's Same. just slumped. Same yeah. as Mike later on. They, they, I don't know what the deal is. If it was just a quirk of, I don't know how they did it, but they made their both their eyes so goggly and open and yeah, terrifying. I don't think that's mm. an accident. Oh, man, Mike's, Mike's really that good. image of Mike at the end of uh, episode four, where he's mm-hmm. dead on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, the angle that they're using, his eyes are bugging out. This spit in the corners of his and, mouth. And it's, like, yeah. I want it on a t-shirt. <laughs> and it happens in it happens in the bed and breakfast, and it happens in it's a very homely home. Like it's on the, he smashes the stair rail, and that, you know the, the stairs look just like my house when I was a kid. And like, mm. and um, then when Ace has, you know, almost gets killed by the the girl, it's in a lounge room, and it's yeah. behind a sofa. Which is Doctor Who is now. There's been talk about that. Apparently, it didn't mean anything. Oh, no, no, I'm sure it. Well, I'm okay. (laughs) But no, no, but what you're saying is true. Like, it it does resonate. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But it's just such a homely homely, um, setting, which makes Mm. it more terrifying, I think. I think so. How can that poor woman, Mrs. Smith, (laughs) that poor racist woman, (laughs) (laughs) with a no colored sign in her front window of the bed and breakfast? It's all about race. I mean, this story is all about race. It's a race war between the Daleks. There's what you were saying before about the the fascist little bit of a fascist um, tint to it. The Daleks were even like a they were meant to be the Nazis, weren't they? It wasn't Terry Nation's thing of the Daleks. Meant I think they're most clearly allegorical to the Nazis in Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah, and I think they can be read as such right through to the sixties. Although they're probably something else which we might get onto at a later mm. point. Um, but there's, there's a very clear parallel certainly mm. in this story mm. between two things. I think one definitely the fact that the the Daleks are a, a race that is intolerant of any kind of diversity. Yeah. Yeah, and so there is an extreme xenophobia and racism about yeah. that, even amongst their own. Yeah, like if, if you're different, and I love how that is paralleled in humanity as well mm-hmm. through the uh, the association. Yeah, the, too. Two, yeah. the two sides, and you've got your inside men on either side, and yeah, mm-hmm. and the extremism of and the danger of those that sort of extremist position as well. There's that bit we talked about how Mike dies, right? Yeah, but what we didn't say before that was he actually corners Ace in the living room there with yeah. and, and draws a gun on her. One so again kudos to sophie aldred i love ace so much yeah. she's just like are you really going to shoot me mike if i had to you might have to yeah, yeah. that's like man yeah well, she's... that's what i thought it was i thought it was written quite well i think i was shocked just like not shocked but like surprised to come back to this looking at it this way and just the writing once you around which gets a bit of space and i'm sure they cut a lot of it out but it's just so it's really good a lot of the dialogue's really good mm. there's a lot of like like i said before a lot of delicate touches they don't hammer a lot of stuff and they don't beat no, you over the head right it is delicate but obviously the inference for me anyway is that uh, even after he's lost even though mike has mm. obviously you know the association is is finished uh, ratcliffe is dead his aims uh, aims are, are no longer a, um, a going concern he pulls a gun on ace and it's a clear comment i think on where fascism racism what? xenophobia will yeah. take us mm. you're not going to destroy the enemy you're only going to end up pulling a gun on a friend on, yeah. on people and like he, yourselves he always yeah. says you got to take care of your own yeah the ins- well what is he out. doing there though you know yeah. he's pulling a gun on his own yeah well, we've already sort of touched on the fact that um, they went quite over budget, um, £12,000. And if that's not exact, well, sunglasses emoji. We, yeah. do, the, we yeah, do this all the time, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, if we do have any details wrong, uh, like, um, I know sci-fi fans like to pick people up on details that they've gotten wrong. I suppose I reply free. to that will always be sunglasses emoji. <laughs> Feel 
free to email us, tweet us, and uh, you will receive a sunglasses emoji in reply. At you to who podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they are they massively overspent on production, mm, and really do. I think it shows. It like shows. there's a lot of explosions. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad that they did because the end of the show was so nigh. I'm glad that we got it. Yeah. I love that. And rather than not getting it at all. Yeah, like, but it's also throughout these stories. So how does it mm. open up? We're sort of ten minutes into episode one before mm. we've got a pitched battle yeah. in Todd's Lane. Yeah. The setting of uh, unearthly child. Mm. Um, and yeah. all those guns, every you know, one pound a bullet. Right. <laughs> all those guns. I'm glad off. it happened in Todd's Lane as well. Are they in Todd's Lane because that's where the doctor was at one stage, and also they're looking for the hand of Omega? Is that what? I that think that's is? the in-story like, explanation that the Daleks yeah. have traced the doctor. So that's our that Dalek way. reveal as well for yeah. the story, so, which is pretty cool. You have that vision of of Dalek vision, I suppose. Yeah, the first, Dalek vision. With the scrolling text. Yeah, and the, the scrolling. Is, it, talk, yeah, is yeah. it good or is it bad? No, I don't no, know what no, it is. Great. I love it. Maybe it's it, it, awful. Again, <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the uh, Cyberman reveal from Earthshock. It's through the, that was through the android's oh, yeah, eyes, but true. this is through true. the eye yeah. stalk Didn't of the Dalek. Maybe it's a trope. Do you know what else it is? Mm. What was the uh, the great Hollywood hit of that last twelve months? But Alien, um, Predator rather. Oh and yeah, you have the, uh, the yeah. Predator vision. Yeah, uh, I reckon JT stole it. <laughs> I reckon he stole it again. I think it looks. It does beautiful. look good. And then the, 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 the part of the overspend again is when the the, the X-ray kind of incinerate this is the first tip, tipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first time we first see it on television, where you see yeah. the skeleton in the X-ray vision oh. of the blast of a mm. of a Dalek um, gun. Because I'd seen Dalek shooting people before, but this one was just like, whoa, my I god! Know. And yeah. stunt man. BBC stuntman tip tipping gets thrown back into the uh, into the corrugated um, iron bits. It just looks so looks so great. I love the way um, after the ice stalk stuff, the Dalek reveal like it, it comes out of the smoke and the rubble, mm. and, and it's, it's got fire coming yeah, off. He's the on skirt. fire. Yeah. Yeah. I it's think so that was an accident, right? It looks yeah. scary, man. It really, like, yeah. It looked great. Yeah. And before he even comes out, we've got um, the Doctor is warning everyone. He's like, you know, it doesn't matter how many mm. men you get in here, and that's right. It's, like, it's, it's not even yeah. remotely human. human. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Then there's not a lot of Dalek until. I don't know episode three, but you get to see the inside of a Dalek. Yeah, that's which is cool. uh, at the end ever... of episode one, right? Yeah, yeah and I think that... well, this is the first time we see it in this way, where you sort of see the anatomy of a Dalek, yeah. like what's inside that case as yeah. it's dematerializing in the coal hill. Oh, bunk, it's brilliant! Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The oh, thing. I yeah. love that transmat sequence. It's yeah. really clever. Yeah. Oh man, that's just. Uh, I just want to go just swing off for one second about Andrew Morgan's direction. I really think it was. Um, we've already said before that it's very snappy and very fast paced, mm-hmm. but I love that. Just the cliffhanger the, at the end of episode one. There's the whole transmat sequence. Yeah. There's a bit where they are they deactivate it and here's a little explanation and they have a giggle and then she says, "Does that mean there's another Dalek?" And oh, that bit with, when, he, yeah. when he turns around with his eyes bulged open, that scared the crap out of me. And then there's a Dalek straight away, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. "Yeah." And then uh, they go up the stairs because uh, uh, he immediately yells out, "The stairs!" I don't know if that's meant to be. We, uh, is that meant to be a gag? Because I he's like, "Get to the stairs!" Like, and then, but then we, for the first time ever, again, we get, get something, to see don't a, we? A Dalek, a levitating Dalek, going up yeah. the stairs. Now they all of a sudden they can fly. Again, <laughs> is so, that really crap? I really like. I loved it as a kid. I loved it as a kid. As an adult watching it just recently, I did see the strings. Um, yeah. now, <laughs> now, now, when you see Daleks flying around on New Who, they fly oh, yeah. around all the time. And it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah, this but is the first time. The first was, time. There were yeah. gags in the press all the time for, you know, for, year, for 30 years. There was that yeah. famous like, cartoon of the stairs with the Dalek at the bottom of it stuck. He's like, oh, we're buggered now. But yeah, we don't really have a lot of Daleks. There's the. Where until Ace has her amazing scene where she gets to smash up a bunch yeah. of Daleks. Yeah. It's so it's cool. It's so great. How great is she as the uh, as the action heroine, like bursting through the glass window? Well, a, like... Another reason that I thought I just I just thought she was so cool. Uh, yeah. She she baseball bats a bunch of Daleks. <laughs> she must have had the best time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and she's she... jumping through windows as well. So, Sophie Aldred accidentally actually smashed up a proper prop and not a stand-in one yeah. of You're a Dalek on set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the crew didn't realize until they were like, oh, oh my god. Yeah, it's quite funny. So she. Yeah. she once again, twelve thousand pounds over budget. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't forget though, she's only in Coal Hill High School because she's basically disobeyed the doctor and the she's, orders of you know yeah. Gilmore and all the rest of it. She's <laughs> taken upon herself to grab a baseball bat mm. and head off and just basically bash some Dalek. Yeah, to base it, yeah. And then once they get once she gets rescued, there's the, another great Dalek inside with it where he strangles the Dalek. Yeah, claw now, strangles the Dalek. Now this was great. I really liked the inside of this Dalek um, because uh, you know we get the whole thing about that. Look at this. They've they've evolved. Fold, yeah. They've mutated again. They've got protuberances. They've got bionic bits sort of in the, you know, built into their body mm-hmm. and stuff. For me, anyway, I immediately thought, this is why they hate each other because they're not the same. Yeah. Like, it's not just the fact they look different on the outside. Yes. Yeah. They're different on, on the, the inside. inside. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and then we've got... Um, 
a big Dalek fight, which is probably where a lot of the money went, because mm. there's a lot of explosions. Man, can we talk a little bit about the pyrotechnics that were used in this uh, yeah. story? It was definitely a step up. Yeah. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know whether, in, maybe in Classic Who, this might be the most realistic I think so. um, shootout scene that we've ever had. I don't know. That That's might be a good call. It might be a big call. I'm not sure, but I do. <laughs> Someone's going to call in. Yeah. Uh, sunglasses, sunglasses emoji. <laughs> oh, there's that great. I, I did notice this time when, when Ace is in the lab and she's running over those desks, jumping from desk to desk, which mm-hmm. she did herself. Uh, there's all this flame and fire and explosions mm-hmm. in, in the background reflected in the windows yeah. from the dark. And it all went off. They did it in one take. That's explosions. all her? Yeah. Uh, until, uh, until she crashed through the window. Oh, and I was wow. a stunt woman. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Man, I was, I was so awesome. Well, then yeah. you saying called the yeah the shootout there's the um the shootout with a lot of exploding <laughs> yeah well apparently the um the explosions were so loud yeah. uh, they were setting off car alarms in the street and oh, they, wow. because and well because it's the 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 mid to late 80s yeah. you've still got the a bit of the troubles it was the anniversary of um it was a big ira so, anniversary yeah, uh, right. and so they were ex- people were expecting an attack or an explosion or a bomb like a, that was common mm. at the time gosh and so, so the, the police and ambulances and fire services came down there mm. and apparently as an ambulance man appeared on the scene <laughs> And he, he didn't know. No one knew that there was a TV, or they got permission, but the ambulance guy didn't know there was a TV being filmed. And he saw a bunch of smoke, and then three Daleks emerged from the smoke towards him. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Oh, is that that amazing. I think it was in the That's commentary. Cool. It's really oh, isn't that man, great? That's amazing. I love that. It's like maybe the only time ever in the world in history where someone in real life like has no idea a bunch of Daleks coming at him, and then he's like, "Oh my god, they're real!" And then and then J and T screaming from a deck chair on the side. Who is this ambulance man? Get out of shot. <laughs> The, um, and then the, you've got in this fight, obviously, and with this big production, you've got the the older special weapons Dalek, mm. who I have always once again something new, yeah. something new for Doctor That's Who true. with the Daleks. Apparently, they called it the Punk Dalek on set because it was all messed yeah. up and battered and stuff. I think oh, that's quite cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, but I never really, I was never hugely into it until I think, yeah, I, when I read the um, novelization, and I remember that there's a brief paragraph that Aronovich wrote from the perspective of the um, special weapons of Dalek. the special weapons. Yeah, Dalek. And, and oh, it's that's sort interesting. Of, you wanna- yes, well, this is uh, this is a really interesting bit because, as you say, Dan, it's a really short bit in the book, no more than a paragraph. It's only, yeah. it's only touch it, but it's really yeah. good. It's it's mm. t- it's from his point of view, the special Daleks' point of view. They call, they they give him a name, the Abomination, yeah. uh, mm. a bit of a backstory, and just all, how twisted he actually. All the is. other Daleks are scared of him, and they hate him. Mm. Hate, well, it they hate it, it and um, yeah. it's been driven insane because of the radiation leakage from its weapon over the years. And yeah. It, yeah, they hate it. It is a great parallel to New Who, though, because obviously the special weapons Dalek has. Popped up. Does he come twice? back? Twice. Asylum of the Daleks was I, one time. Yeah, and it's it's brief, and it's brief again in uh, the first two parter of series nine. I'd, you'd oh, want okay. it to be brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, you've got the you got on, we're back on Scaro, and we do have the special weapons Dalek in there for no particular oh, reason. In the background, yeah, it's just right. there. It's well, just now it's there. just become a throwback to the fans. I yeah, think, almost wish bit. they didn't put him in there. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> but it's great. I, I do like that battle sequence. They've got we have mentioned the direction a few times uh, and how pacey it is. There are a few really good bits uh, where they slow it right down. Mm. Um, um, yeah, a couple of really good scenes. Really, yeah. good. there's the cafe scene mm. with um, John, and uh, the, there's the cemetery scene with the vicar. I love that cafe scene. I think they're mm. both really beautiful. Let's let's tackle the cafe scene first. And yeah, we're okay. talking here about where the doctor's on his late night walk through the <laughs> the streets of Once East again, London. Something new for Doctor Who again in this part. I think it's like the idea of this <laughs> philosophical discussion uh, between the doctor and a civilian. Mm. Yeah, um, who doesn't know who he doesn't know who he is, and no. they'll never meet again. No, he's just some bloke who's working in a cafe doing the night shift in pops the doctor and it's some and it's i mean it just happens to be joseph marcel who went on to play the butler in fresh, <laughs> fresh prince, prince of bel-air as before the internet as a kid i was convinced this was the case and it took me years to f- confirm it but like yeah he's great yeah yeah he's awesome he, he's, I, I love the way that the sort of uh, works on two levels there's a, there's a beautiful symbolic value to um mm. that exchange as well the doctor's obviously ruminating on his own decisions and, and mm. what that will mean and mm. uh, it's sort of hinting again at that darker doctor the doctor with a plan is always three, four steps ahead yes. of you. Uh, but also, I think, you know, it sort of harkens back to the whole thing about race. You know, obviously, mm. um, John talks about how if this whole sugar mm. thing hadn't taken oh, yeah. off, he, he his grandfather wouldn't have been, uh, you know, sold, sold as a slave and he'd be an African, he says quite yeah. 
proudly and yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful little moment it's like yeah. these are the things that that history has turned on these mm. decisions and essentially you know the taste buds of of people in the west for sugar it's incredible mm. Mm. Oh, it was a relief to me they also covered the fact that harry wasn't behind the the counter <laughs> as well because at one point i remember thinking what the hell like they've even just used a different guy running the cafe now <laughs> but then but then the doctor's he's like the where's, where's harry he's seeing his wife in the hospital and then there's that little that's telltale right. bit twins. again oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was... i love the inference of this it's not said anywhere but in my own head canon mm. right we've got harry who's obviously fought in the war he says to mike enough of that you know i've, mm. I've had enough of that in the war mm. he says um he's fought against the nazis he's fought against fascism mm. i like to think that him and and, and john were side by side somewhere on the western <laughs> yeah, front wow. and they're great friends and of course when the time comes when his wife uh, is, is is due to deliver his twins john takes john takes over yeah, i think yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful yeah, sort of yeah, racial absolutely. harmony and, kind of moment. and yeah. obviously the doctor's been there before but maybe he's been there a few times because he knows mm. he knows harry he knows he's going to have twins yeah mm. i yeah. like that he's sort of and mm. he's sort of yeah. he's checking in with the yeah people. so it's inferred that the whole hand of omega thing um has happened before ian and barbara on the scene i guess so whatever that period of time is yeah all of this has sort of gone down we've got the great scene in the undertakers where he gets on the phone <laughs> yes yes the doctor it's just one thing governor I thought you said he was an old geezer with white hair. Which is obviously it's a, Hartnell. It's Hartnell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the sci-fi sort of um, sort of pulp aspect of this. You know, the Doctor's mm. left behind this terrible super weapon mm. on Earth and he's left it in his timeline for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like a long, like a long, long, long time. And yeah, it'll come be fine. Back to I'll just go it. back to like <laughs> the day after I left it there. I, I do love the fact this guy's just like, oh, now which casket are we here to pick up? So it's like, well, it's that alien looking one. <laughs> the one that makes right alien noises. It's full of cum, full of like, you know, smoke. <laughs> I love that bit where he drops the old baseball bat into the thing and it makes all those computery noises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the way in which it just sort of floats on out after the Doctor. Mm. Oh, that's such a... But, and a high comedy and farce. Is it? Fainting on the fa- at the is it also BBC casual racism? Because it's, oh, the, because it's the Welsh. Oh, we're going oh back to our... Well it's readers. Martin. William Thomas is the actor. Uh, and he's Welsh. Yep. And so, obviously, Sweet Dogs in our previous cast, we've talked about the BBC's... Poss- well, maybe we're, we're just looking too much into it. I, no, I, I think it's I, there. The Scots are... are typecasted <laughs> yep. as, as, yeah. as being a little bit tight with money. The Welsh are stereotypically typecast in a negative way as being quite weak, cowardly weak, and weak. Conquerable. So, <laughs> yes. uh, and he, so he passes out. So and I all, think this is another example. And also the, the lower, <laughs> do we have a lot of lower classes stuff in Autons? There's a lot of yeah, tops versus uh, working class. <laughs> yeah. So it's the old BBC shining through there. <laughs> yeah. I love that bit in the cemetery. That's another slow down slowed down bit of stuff where oh yeah with yeah. the uh, the floating the casket priest, the yeah. blind priest um, I, Peter Halliday who'd been in Doctor Who a bunch of times yeah and in particular as Packer in the invasion but more on that <laughs> much later right um, I love the music Kev McCulloch oh, is a, yeah. it's a haunting little sort of uh, minor key uh, mm. incidental music track that yeah. he's got in the background uh, and there's this moment where again much like um, <laughs> that reference to the white haired geezer mm. the, um, yeah, yeah. the the vicar the blind vicar says um, yeah, forgive me for saying this, but it seems to me that your voice has changed somewhat since we last met. There's a little, <laughs> little Doctor Who theme. As he says, yes, several I, times. I, several times. Those chords that just play that mm. whole scene, they're really, it's really beautiful. Mm. And I then, think so. That's great. And, that, and Peter Halliday's really understated. He's great. For mm. a change. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It does kind of strike me as the fact that the Doctor kind of knows what's going to happen. He's, he's sort of in control the whole time, mm. and there's no mm. real conflict. I mean, he's just got to make sure the right Daleks get it and yeah. no one gets killed. I, I really like the delayed explanation of what the Hand of Homemaker oh, is. Mm. So we've got that scene in episode three, and it's on the stairs with Ace. Yeah. Yeah. So this, and as you say, it's not until episode three. It's yeah. mentioned a couple of times throughout, and you, your interest is peaked. And it's like, what yeah. on earth is that? We know from as Doctor Who geeks that uh, Omega was a remote uh, stellar manipulator, or that's what the hand of Omega is. Yeah, he was the engineer, and he was the engineer who. But, so after yeah. two and a half episodes of teasing, we finally get this beautiful moment yeah. where Sylvester mm. pu- pulls Sophie aside, and they're sitting in the stairwell of mm. Coal Hill High School, and he's able to explain what um, what the, the hand of Omega is, and, mm. which is a great way, by the way, of like hiding. 
that Basil exposition moment because we mm. are now looking forward to this. We do want to know. It's yeah. not just mm. uh, it's not rammed down our throats yeah, in episode exactly. one or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, but again, it's 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 harkening back to the Cartmel master plan because yes. you know what is the how is the Doctor involved mm. in that and ancient what, time of and, Gallifrey? And he sort of he's musing and he sort of says, "Didn't we have trouble with the prototype? We, yeah, 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 yeah we yeah, instead yeah, of yeah, they. Yeah. It's like why would so, he have been there? That's yeah. right. You know, at the start of Time Lord Society, mm. yeah. it's because of the Cartmel master plan. He's supposed to have been there, but that comes that doesn't really come out in the show. No, it doesn't. It's and a nice little. It never got a and chance. even if it was never answered, and I'm not sure, you know, we're ne- ever going to see it on screen, and that's no, probably a nah, good thing. Nah. I just love the fact that he's just a character who just sort of arrives in his TARDIS, does something wonderful, and then before you can thank him or even ask him why, he disappears. And that's mm. the way it should be. I really didn't know who he was or what he was. Yeah. And I, uh, every time they had a tiny little. Tiny little line here and there, you know. I was soak it up and be like, oh, I've learned something else. Like in Silver That's Nemesis, true. at the end of Nemesis, so she asks him who he is, and the ending is just him putting a finger to his lips. Yeah. Just yeah. little things like that, all through McCoy, like not knowing. It, it was fine. Like I didn't. I wanted to know, but not getting told everything was so mm. ballsy because Doctor Who at this time is probably a show where uh, people sort of dip in and out of it. You know, like, like they already showed maybe with Trial of a Time Lord that people didn't really want to watch um, season long story yes. arcs. True. And so to have this thing where they keep alluding a little bit here there every episode, every story, it's kind of ballsy because a lot of people would be like, what are they talking about? Hmm. Yeah. You know, but only if you, if you were watching it yeah. every single week, it, it would so really build up and I think it would be... It was I think in a way the show was probably in damage control territory at that stage. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff had happened that, that um, people weren't very happy with. They got cancelled um, a couple of years before for yeah. a whole year. Yeah. yeah. Eight, was it 18, 18 months? 18 months. Yeah, 18 and months, then, months, man. The, the, the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Like, oh, that the, goes down like it's... Definitely. What they did with with uh, stories like Remembrance of the Daleks is remarkable. By no means is it too little, but it unfortunately is too late. Yeah, too late. So how does it wrap up? Okay, well, I think the most uh, dramatic point of this happens in episode four where we have the showdown, if you like, between Davros and, oh, yeah. and the Doctor. Now, before we go into that, it's interesting, isn't it? We've got a big Davros reveal. Mm-hmm. He's only in probably... Five minutes of episode four, yep. pretty much. And you know what? It works. Yeah, I have no <laughs> yeah. problem with it at all. Sorry, Steve, go on. No, I well, think you're right. In the same mm. way that we said last time with Urshock, Cybermen mm. work well when they're kept to the shadows yeah. and at the periphery. Obviously, this point here comes in episode four. If, we're talk, if mm. we were to look at this in a new who kind of way, 42-minute mm. format, this probably happens at around about the 25, 30-minute mark. Sure. So it's taken three episodes for us to get here. But yeah. um, you know, it's, it's that sort of dramatic high point where the two of them are, are finally facing down. Mm. <laughs> and he just talks him into... He just tricks him, basically. Yeah, Great. it's beautiful. They have a really nice little... They're very familiar. Mm-hmm. familiar. Yeah. The transmitter that he rigs up for an old camera and yeah. a TV. And through right. the old tube love, telly, which is a nice little heart back to what Doctor Who would have been yeah. watched on once. <laughs> and a, that's a long shot, but There's uh, a bit where, like he's, where he's talking to Davros and you've got... Um, Rachel, Allison, and Gilmore in the back looking at the TV going, what the hell is <laughs> yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah. I love their faces. They're so great. Doesn't he look more sinister and terrifying through mm. that black and white cathode ray yeah, than yeah, the, the yeah. actual sort of shot of Davros on yeah, the bridge? Yeah. I think, Man, I remember mm. thinking, he looks so disgusting with yeah. the black oh, tongue and yeah. like the vegetable black guy. He, had to, <laughs> oh, he had to gargle man. this black vegetable guy. Is that what that is? Well, it worked. Like It looked revolting. And I love the unhinged way in which Malloy plays Davros. Oh, he's insane. He almost, he's he, insane. When he speaks, uh, the angrier he gets, the more dar- he falls into a Dalek cadence. Yes. I really yeah. like that. That's cool. Absolutely. But I love the way in which the Doctor, as you say, essentially tricks him. Mm. After all of the gun battles and whatever else, you know, the Doctor defeats the the, the yeah. enemy mm. through being cleverer than the with, opponent. With words. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. He, and he goads him into using the hand of Omega. It's pretty great as well in the sense that um, the audience haven't really been treated like idiots either throughout mm. the story. We're in on it with the Doctor too. Like, I you suppose know? you're right. It doesn't doesn't treat you like an idiot this script mm. it's I think it's well. also down to McCoy's performance Definitely. as well like he's mm. someone who's obviously been hiding something a plan mm. for the whole four episodes and this is Definitely, definitely where, you know, that chess move, that final chess move is going to be played. Yeah. Um, and there's that lovely line uh, at the end, mm. uh, you know, where Davros says, you tricked me, and he says, mm. no, you tricked yourself. Yeah. And there's that final, it's, a, no. it's an evocation of Genesis oh, of the Daleks, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he says, have pity on me! I have pity for you. Fifty! Bye, Davros. 
It hasn't been pleasant. He just leaves it and turns yeah. off the thing. It's great, it's great. So he's taken care of the Imperial fleet, and now it's time to get rid of the uh, the renegade yeah. Dalek. The and we, last and we've had yeah. it's the so Dalek, it's so yeah. strange. Like we've had uh, we've had we've had a day. It's gone into night, mm-hmm. and we've mm-hmm. had the morning, mm-hmm. uh, another day, and we've had the big climax in the mostly shot in the sort of in the dark in a dark cellar mm-hmm. in a dark bridge, and now the, the last fight is. In the light of day, like it's so, it makes the Dalek seem so harmless. He's on his own. I love the way the Doctor comes into shot as well, and he's just sort of ambling towards the Dalek. He's, yeah. he's using umbrella. his umbrella like a walking stick, That's and he's right. just sort of McCoy. very measured way. He's just talking this Dalek down. And he... Dalek, you have been defeated. Surrender. You have failed. Yeah, I think I don't know if it was Aronovich. I think he wrote in that the Doctor was going to use a piece of the hand of Omega, called the finger of Omega, as like a, a uh, gun to shoot the old Dalek and really? blow him, blow him up. And Steve, I think you put it really well uh, last month with Earthshock. You yeah. know, the, the moment you have the Doctor pick up a gun, it's, you've made a mistake. Yes, you go back to your script and you rewrite yeah. it because you've made a mistake. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it works wonderfully in that context. Like mm. he talks him, he talks him to death. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful and a powerful image. It's like this strange little man uh, with, as you say, the umbrella. And he's full of no fear in him whatsoever. No. He knows entirely exactly what he's going to be doing here. He's armed, I suppose, with by, an umbrella. With an umbrella, but also, you know, and a lot of gravitas. <laughs> and a lot of gravitas. He's on the side of the angels. Mm. And there's that wonderful line, you know, once the Dalek blows up yeah. ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Which yeah. sort of echoes the Hand of Omega burial, but mm. also segging into the really haunting yeah. uh, denouement of the entire piece, which is Mike's funeral. Yeah. Mm. It really nails home part mm. of what, this, what the script is to me. Mm. It's all this, this um, script is, is a lot of stuff in it about death. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's a funeral ending the, the um, Hand of Omega is, is a coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the bit where the um, the headmaster dies. Uh, they, you know, they have the fight and it's in a cemetery yeah. and he falls down next to that. In loving memory. In loving memory. I think yeah. that's beautiful. That's just yeah. a little touch but then there's some um, where he says ashes to ashes dust to dust mm-hmm. um where he's confronting gilmore who's um upset that he's just discovered there's a mothership that could destroy the earth and above him. and he says you found out that someone there's someone better versed at death than you <laughs> frightening isn't it yeah <laughs> and there's even the bit where um the, they they zap the daleks and they blow them up um when they're fighting ace and the doctor says there were living beings in there mm. and, yeah. mike, and mike says not anymore yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very flippant sort of reply. Yeah, yeah. Death, death does stalk this mm. entire yeah. uh, mm. story. And I think mm. unlike the fluffier unit years, it is actually um, treated head on, I suppose. Mm. Um, we see the bodies lying on the floor. There's multi, you know, that scene in the association where all of yeah. them are just sort of lying on the, on, in the courtyard mm. there, which is harrowing. We've talked about Mike's death and, and mm. Ratcliffe's Ratcliffe's as well. Death, yeah. Here's the sort of um, the emotional sort of um, impact of that, the human impact of it, which is the mm. fact that these bodies have to be buried at the end of the day. And we've joked before about how the Brigadier has to make a phone call to yeah. the, mother, the mothers of unit soldiers and yeah. attend a bunch of funerals. And in this one, they go to right. a funeral okay. again. Yeah. They never they don't usually deal with the aftermath in Doctor no. I think they've done it a few times in New Who, but they, they never dealt with it in the old one. And I love this scene where they the Doctor pulls Ace and doesn't they don't go into the funeral mm. because the Doctor doesn't go to funerals. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't. Like, yeah. Ace looks like she's been crying and she asks mm. him, did we do good? And it's like, well, we mm. annihilated a planet, mm-hmm. possibly caused genocide of the other brace of people who live on Skaro. Yeah. The Thals. But what the Doctor says is now probably one of the most iconic lines very of classic cool. Doctor Who. Yeah. Time will tell. Almost does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great line. It's a great ending. And then it ends with the slam of the church door. And it's, it's very final. And, yeah, so I just love that they actually took a moment. I think so, because this is Doctor Who growing up. This is yeah. Ben Aronovich bringing it very much into the 90s, mm. I think, mm. uh, never mind the 80s. And there's a mm. much more mature handling of the way in which there's yes. a human emotional uh, yeah. side effect to these adventures. It, yeah, but there's lots of little things like that, like the ending. I'm sure someone someone probably had to f- fight for that mm. to keep it not just an action all the time. And then there's the cafe scene. Like, mm. I know I, that was going to get cut as well. That whole scene about the ripples oh, was no. going to get cut. And McCoy fought for it. He... Um, Great. Fought really? to keep it in, yeah, apparently. There's so much action and so much pace and so much explosions and ray guns and Dalek shooting ray and Dalek shooting Daleks and stuff and all this action stuff. But there's also, they've managed to keep in these these quiet bits and these bits to keep the pacing right. Yeah. And then the ending, which is just so, I just think it's great. You know, one of the things you can measure a really well-paced Doctor Who story by, and that is 
if it's a story where there's no interior of the TARDIS and, yes. you, and you don't notice it, yeah. which I did not notice it and only really realised well, so recently. Well, she, there's a bit where she's like, can't we just get into the TARDIS? They, were, they, were gonna, they wanted to write in a gag where um, they almost could try to get into a, a genuine 63 police box, <laughs> thinking it's the TARDIS. They mistake it for the TARDIS. That's oh, cute, man. but they wrote it out. Can I just talk about the Quatermass reference? Definitely. Which is only really in passing. And it's not, he's not even mentioned as Quatermass. He's mentioned as Bernard. Um, Rachel says, I wish Bernard was here. And Alison replies, uh, British rock group has its own problems. Mm. Um, this is actually a reference to um, uh, the Quatermass serials of the 1950s and 60s, which were um, BBC films, if you like, from that era. Um, they basically were around, based around a, a, a highly intelligent and highly moral mm. British scientist who sort of fought alien invasions. Mm. Does it sound familiar in any way? He's <laughs> um, very much seen as an inspiration for Doctor Who. Mm. And I just love the fact that uh, this, uh, you know, Aronovich includes a sort of meta just uh, a little, reference, yeah. just as a way to say, yes, Doctor Who is 25 years old, but in fact it sort of reaches further back into, into history in terms of its influences. I, I just love that the, the protagonist of a BBC action show could be, have his first name Bernard. <laughs> it was the 50s. <laughs> uh, um, and, and sort of that kind of segs to, I don't know if you guys remember, but there's that, that scene in the Smith's um, front room and Ace has switched the television on. Yes, yeah, and the, there's a BBC announcer, uh, and it sounds like he's about to introduce the new Saturday Tea Time adventure mm. serial at five fifteen pm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's called Dot. I've never heard of that <laughs> show. Yeah. And Dot. And one, one, it's John Leeson who's the voice of Canine who's, yeah. who's reading it out. But obviously, there's also just that very sort of meta reference to the fact that it's the 23rd of November, 1963. Mm. Doctor Who mm. is 25 My, years old. You, you know how I feel about. Um, references, self-referencing to this show. I hate it. I hate when they do it. I hate when they do it in the but, new show, and I hate when they do it in the old one. But I feel like I could forgive it. Yes, because it's the 25th anniversary. There's all this stuff about. Can we just also point out, Dan, that you know this is like something that hadn't been done a hell of a lot at this point. Yeah, either. you're right. So I no. do think you can forgive it in this instance. I wanted, I wanted more stuff like that when I was um, when of I was course. watching it as a kid. Yeah, yeah, it's a party. It's Might personal. as well enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course, I, I do. One, enjoy. one thing I really didn't like about that bit, and it's purely to do with continuity, and it is nitpicky, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. The announcer says it's 5.15pm. It is bright daylight outside. <laughs> also, apart from the fact that it's the wrong time of oh, year in November, England. it's November, because it yeah, would have been right. it should have been dark. Isn't it the next day when they get back to the, um, when the doctor visits Ace at the bed and breakfast, and they're all eating they're all eating breakfast at that breakfast yeah, table. That's that morning, like yeah. Rachel's eating, the, reading the paper, and they're like they're scraping butter onto their toast. I love it. So English yeah, is a teapot. It's yeah, great. Yeah, I, I love that room. I love that yeah. that room at the bed and breakfast. is such a great set. It does look English, it's doesn't really it? Good. It really good. Really does. This yeah. is this is really important. Again, Doctor Who's evolving and changing. I think in many ways it sort of sets up what we see with uh, the Tyler family mm. in uh, the first two oh, yeah. seasons of Doctor Who when it comes back in two thousand five and six. Okay, so yeah, another parallel to New Who. Yeah, here, yeah. definitely. Yeah, mm. I think you know. We're much more accepting of the mundane and the kitchen sink um, from here on in in the last two seasons of Classic Who. I grew up in uh, in a suburb, a couple of suburbs west of London in the in the eighties, in uh, Ealing and in Perivale. Um, so, is Perivale actually the name of a real <laughs> suburb? It's a suburb in London. Oh, um, wow. For, for you, those of you that are new to Who, uh, it's where Ace is supposed to be from. It's mm. a boring suburb that she hates, and she's from there. And in the very last um, story of Classic Who survival, they go back there and they they have to revisit her past and stuff and see her friends. Mm. But um, I grew up around in that kind of area. I even got to see them once because um, when they were filming Survival. My mum took me up the road uh, to the main street where the shops were and let me watch them film for survival. a little bit. Was so it I survival? Got, yeah, survival. So I got to watch them. Yeah, it was That's just like amazing. That was like it blew my mind. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, did and you I also see... really liked how she constantly mocked Paravale. We're getting way off topic here. Mm. She constantly mocked Paravale in that in that serial, mm. um, and because it, it was a really boring place, and she had it because it was really boring, and that's where we lived. And I used to say to my mum, "It is boring." <laughs> she said, "It's not boring." <laughs> did you Did you actually see like Sylvester and Sophie on set? I or... don't remember. No? I just remember. Did you see the Tardis prop? Uh, no, no. I just oh. saw. I think. It's a street where they were filmed with with a horrible hail and pace scene, but it's a mm. st- sort of street with a pub and stuff. And okay. I got to watch the crew filming, and I I do remember it. I just don't remember it, they were far away, like they weren't close. The memory yeah. cheats. I didn't see them mm. close up and stuff. Like yeah, yeah. But it was great. Right, so gentlemen, the time has come again to play a little game called cliffhangers, crackers, or clangers. <laughs> <laughs> so where this is where we go through each of the cliffhangers for the episodes of the story and decide which ones we like, which ones yeah. didn't work. Yeah. Okay, so episode one. It's the first time in history a Dalek is seen levitating mm. up the stairs. <laughs> the doctor threw the ice stalk and he's got nowhere to run. 
I'm going to I'm going to go on record as saying this one's actually my favourite cliffhanger out of the story. Oh, okay. uh, and it's the and it's purely down to the Dalek levitating up the stairs. Sure. It's a new threat. It's something we didn't know they could do. I'm going to say it's one of those key moments in television history. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, but then the real the bit that's really scary for me is when Ace goes up the stairs and oh. Michael Sheard, the headmaster from Grand Chill, oh, he, <laughs> he needs her in the stomach. I was furious oh. when that happened, but she gets him back <laughs> and he locks the door and it's terrible. I was like, the headmaster's locking the doctor in the yeah. basement. Yeah, great. I do love that line at the end of that. Ace gets him back, knees him in the nuts, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the doctor's like, "What's wrong with him?" And she's like, "Stomachache." And he's like, "School, School dinners." dinners. <laughs> That's great. Okay, moving on to episode two, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So this is Ace cornered by three Daleks. Oh. Uh, she's still trying to fight, but then she just closes her eyes like she's awaiting the inevitable. How's she gonna get out yeah. of there? Can I say that there is nothing more chilling than a cacophony of Dalek voices mm-hmm. chorusing a death chant? Yeah, That's yeah. Exactly what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And they're arranged around her, like yeah, uh, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, she can't use the rocket launcher thing because she'll blow herself yeah. off. Yeah, right yeah. next to it. She does try this. She fumbles with. I know. Bit, I love that when she tries to get it in there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's probably a lesser one for me. Mm. It's not a clanger. Ain't, ain't no clanger. No, I don't think so. Okay, episode three, and this gives me a chance <laughs> to address something I forgot to address earlier, and it's episode three: Imperial Dalek ship landing at Coal Hill. Yep. Now, this is something that they've actually. Um, Airlifted in. It's a it's a to scale oh, prop. Yeah, the big prop. They've actually got. They must have had a crane on set. Wow. They've lowered yeah. this thing in. You can see the strings. And there was more attention to detail with all the windows blowing in of the science. That, lab. that was great. Back in the 60s, they wouldn't have thought of doing that. This thing would have just, this shaky little prop would have landed, <laughs> you know. Unfortunately, we get our crap joke in this cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, the doctor, his head you think bobbing it's a crap up. joke? I think I miscalculated. It is. Oh, it is. He doesn't deliver it like that. He, well. <laughs> I think I might have miscalculated. Well, oh, he's a little bit oh, more like. Ooh, uh, <laughs> I like. Uh, it should like, have been cut uh, before he said. Yeah. It, <laughs> funny, funny thing is, like in the recap at the start of episode four, they leave that bit yeah, out, they so they out. only use it in like. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what because he's he's convinced that they're too far from the main action, and then mm. this like you know it looks small in the when it's it, it was a crap the, joke. It yeah, was the, that's comedy high five. All right, that all right. Yeah, that's that's your winner. For I love that shuttlecraft landing. Yeah, it's really good. You can see the water dripping from it, but it's even makes it kind of cool because that smoke and, and it lands exactly on the burn marks that he was talking about in episode one yeah, when yeah, yeah. It and you actually yeah. see so you actually see it little... come down and like rotates a little bit just yeah. to land onto oh, that spot. it was really nice yeah yeah um, okay in episode four we've covered actually already it's Mike's funeral oh, yeah. it's, asked, it's Ace asking the doctor if they did good <laughs> Cole's got written, I'm just looking at Colin's notes and he's got written Mike sells out Ace lying dirty pig <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll have all these notes photographed and collated for the uh, for the for the Twitter. I I really like the part four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Steve, you're going to go with part four. It uh, is a great as a personal one, but I can recognise that part one is mm. a a genuinely brilliant moment in television history. Yeah. The part one one's just so scary because it's a it's a school mm-hmm. it's a school headmaster locking trying to mm. lock your hero yeah. In, yeah. A, in a basement, yeah. and that's why I like it. And yeah. I think it's really scary. Yeah. A so uh, if we're going to bring this back to our mission statement, which is, of course, why should we watch this? Why should anybody watch this? Um, I thought we'd try something a bit novel. We might cut to Steve for this one. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've prepared something that I... Oh, that's good. That's well, handy. I think it's the best example. I think it's the best example of McCoy. Yes. Yep. Possibly one of the best stories of the 80s. Yes. Quite but, simply. Could I also put in here as well, it's probably a fantastic example of where the show... Yeah. was going to go mm. before it got canned. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the fact that we have it, rather than not having it at all, yeah. is... It's, um, it's a big production. It's lovingly written, very yeah. snappily directed. Mm. Yeah, It's fresh and it's exciting. It's covering old territory. It's introducing new ideas. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I do like that it. Um, there, it's very rooted in that sort of unearthly child thing. But it, instead of, we get it in glorious colour. Mm. It was beautiful, all those beautiful 60s colours. Yeah. Mm. I also want to add on to this. Please. Mm. And in sort of retrospectively evaluating what Remembrance of the Daleks is, I actually want to flash forward to 2005 and the return of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is New Who that we're talking about here, obviously. It mm. wasn't just the return, for us at least, of, the, of a love from the long-lost dead, which is actually what it felt like. And it wasn't just the redemption of that longest time between 1989 and 2005. Mm. For me, it was like validation, really, of a belief that, um, that Doctor Who can never really die. 
Um, yeah. We have the example of, you know, we've talked about McCoy um, arguing against this silly idea of the finger of Omega, rather. It's the man without a gun and the hero with a thousand faces. This this is an incredibly and deeply important archetype, I suppose, of, of culture. And when it returned, it was a, probably a moment that proved to me that even if it ever goes offline and doesn't appear for another 16 years in the future, actually, Doctor Who will be back. Doctor yeah. Who will, will never actually die. And I don't think any of that is possible without this reinvention point, which is the remembrance of the Daleks. Mm. There is something uh, tectonic about remembrance of the Daleks. Something changes. The earth and the ground underneath Doctor Who is realigned in a way that it can't go back from that point. Uh, and it's largely a template that we see in many ways for um, uh, for Doctor Who for in, in 2005 onwards in the new series. Yeah. Um, ultimately, though, in terms of the story itself, I love the fact that this is a story that remains true to the eternal principles, I suppose, of Doctor Who in terms of its past, present and future. Mm. It's a story of acceptance and plurality and it's a script that shows us the true cost of hate at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Um, we can rise to our best instincts in ourselves as a single race on a small blue globe hanging precariously in the blackness of space and thrive. <laughs> or we can become instead as the scared and scarred relics of a doomed planet destroyed by war, governed by hatred and trapped in the shells of our fear. There will never be a time when this story isn't relevant. And we will always have a space and a time in our aspirations for a show like Doctor Who. Yeah. Very nicely put. Yeah, I think lovely. we should make a segment at the end of every show. With Where Steve Ste- reads. Steve Spiel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're doing. Steve yeah. Spiel. That so was that great. Was, uh, yeah. I love it. Steve uh, Spiel. We, Steve will talk and we will, Colin and I, at the same we'll, time, we'll go, hmm. Yeah. Mm. So if you like Daleks, I mean, there's something there for you, but if you, you hate them, um, it's actually, if you hate Daleks, this is probably the best Dalek story Daleks. to watch. What is <laughs> wrong with you? <laughs> I can understand why you'd hate Cybermen, but I don't know how you could ever hate the Daleks. <laughs> this is definitely, you know, in my top three Daleks uh, story of all time. Yeah. What are the other two? Genesis of the Daleks. Yes. Ooh, yeah. And I would probably go back to the original Dalek serial as well. Ah, very nice. Nice. Uh, that's just my, my, for my own interest there. This one was a pleasure for me just because I think maybe it is my favourite story of all time. I had it on video when I was a kid. I watched it over and over and over and stuff. Yeah, it is one of those ones that you like you had on repeat. I, I remember that too. I, I remember watching it for the first time um, on the sofa and just being so, so scared. So, okay, and that's it. So that's Remembrance, really. Um, first, definitely thanks to Alistair Pearson for Once again. Uh, letting us use his wonderful cover for Remembrance for our, um, our New to Who cover yeah. picture. Once again, another one from the school library shelf, wasn't it? So, yeah, thank you so much, Alistair. We, we, love, we love your work. So uh, if you listen to any other Doctor Who podcasts, our favourite one by far, uh-huh. our mm-hmm. personal joint favourite is Flight Through Entirety, the yes. wonderful people at FTE, would, by our calculations, may or may not mm-hmm. be uh, releasing their Remembrance episode on the same weekend as us. Go listen to it. It's two months from now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this, we recorded this quite ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. We've just realised after we finished that it was. It if, may be the same weekend. If it's the case, it is a complete coincidence and may we also just go on the record and say that their episode is going to be a hell of a lot better. <laughs> um, probably true, yes. And so if it is the same weekend, uh, we have to apologise to them. But you out there, it's a Remembrance smorgasbord. Just go crazy. You should yeah. definitely listen to theirs. <laughs> yeah. Flight through entirety. If you haven't heard of them already, which I assume you have, mm. they're amazing. So yeah, uh, and thank you, listeners, for um, for signing on and listening to us. We've had a few more followers since the last cast, and we're very we're very grateful. Uh, and thanks for putting up with. We're all we know we're all over the place. Uh, we we might not actually be all over the place by the time we get to uh, broadcast because <laughs> Colin is uh, an editing genius, and he's got, he's got the unenviable <laughs> task of My cutting God. stuff Good from luck. all over the place to <laughs> make it God. sound like we're going in a linear fashion, which we are definitely not doing. No, nope. I'm keeping all the raw audio, <laughs> everything we ever do. You need to keep all the mistakes. Yeah. I think. All right, so where to for next month? Ah, now, don't you love how all three of us know exactly what we're doing? We know what's happening for the whole run of these episodes, <laughs> but we do love to insist on going, now, Steve, I think it's What's, what's <laughs> next? Oh, it's one of mine. Uh, it is one of mine. It's, yeah. uh, Dan, I, it's you again? It's one of mine. Uh, City of Death, which is... Uh, oh, yes. City of Death. Wow. <laughs> Tom Baker uh, and Lala Ward as Romana, uh, mm. and it's they're in France. City yeah. of Death is awesome. It, we're going back to Tom Baker, guys, the fourth Doctor. So yeah. we uh, visited him last with Zygons. You did, but this is a very different story from a very yeah. different era with yes. 
Ben Baker, yes. so we need to revisit it. And also, uh, we've got another Time Lord in this one too, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about that later. Mm. So guys, just so you know, you can buy Remembrance of the Daleks on DVD from BBC Online, or you can buy the episodes on iTunes. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us here at New to Who on Facebook, and um, we're on Twitter as a New to Who Podcast. You can even email us if you want, uh, New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. Can I just say, actually, I really want people to email us, because we have received zero emails. <laughs> I really want emails. What? And you Why know are what? you nitpicking our, th- like, you know, we were $1,000 yeah. off when we said, uh, £1,000 off when we said how much they went over. You yeah. should be nitpicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want the nitpicks. You know, we get them in some of the tweets. We love it, guys. Why um, didn't we talk about why Rachel is hinted at being Jewish? Why didn't we talk about <laughs> Simon Williams in Upstairs Downstairs? Well, All New To Who podcast episodes can also be found to stream on our website to www.newtowho.com. And you can also give us a click on subscribe on iTunes. We hate goodbyes. Yeah, we hate goodbyes. So until next time, I'm Dan. I'm Stephen. And I'm Colin. And here's our non-Star Child regular theme. Colin, you've been slacking off. Yeah, well, I mean, I do have a few love songs laying about that I've yeah. written about Sophie Eldred, Sophie. but uh, <laughs> Where's I've, the Sophie chosen, song? I've chosen not to. Actually, you know what? This is called Sophie's Song. <laughs> <laughs> in bonded polycarbide armor. Ace, you said 10 seconds. Nobody's perfect, Professor.